Support for this podcast and the following message comes from KUST Campus Radio, a student-operated, non-commercial radio station. KUST provides students and faculty of St. Thomas a platform dedicated to creative storytelling, diversity of points, and exploring a vast array of audio content. Tune in at any time to KUST at Mixler.com slash KUST hyphen radio. Welcome to Cold Facts Hot Takes. In this podcast, we will discuss pop culture conspiracy theories and the cases around them. Today, we'll talk about unidentified flying objects and our own personal theories. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cold Facts Hot Takes. I'm Kayla, here with my co-host, May McFarlane. We're back! We're back! We're back! Back oh. and better than ever. I'd it's say. been so long. Yeah, dynamic duo. <laughs> dynamic duo. The OGs, the OGs, if you will. Good to be back in here with you, Kayla. Exciting. Yeah, and we have a big topic we to discuss today. We have a huge today. topic today. One, personally, one of like my first, you know, like childhood, what if this is real, mm-hmm. thoughts. The one that started it all. This and ghosts, for sure. Ghosts was a little bit more forward on my brain. Actually, no. Bermuda Triangle. Oh, my Definitely gosh. Definitely was my biggest fear as a child. I forgot about the Bermuda Triangle. Ever since that Scooby-Doo movie where they oh went to the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, no. Horrifying. Absolutely horrifying. And I thought it would be a much bigger deal. <laughs> I, I know. I thought, it, I thought it would be an issue in my everyday life. Or at least, like, in the news. Yeah. I haven't heard anything about that in a while. Yeah. Next season, Cold Facts Hot Takes, season opener. You watch out. Oh, watch Stay out. tuned. Stay tuned, you guys. Check us out on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> you want to hear that? <laughs> on, sub- subscribe. Yeah. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts. Um, Subtle plug. Always yeah. promoting Tommy Media. Yeah. Always promoting Cold Facts Hot Takes. Mm-hmm. Well, Kayla, give it to us. What are unidentified flying objects? So, unidentified flying objects, often called UFOs, are used it's used in reference to suspected alien spacecraft um but basically it's just it's an object that's seen in the sky that is unknown what it is or what's causing it unidentified unidentified you you might say (laughs) um sightings occur all over the world um but the sighting that kind of sparked this fascination with ufos occurred all the way back in 1947 um, near Mount Rainier in Washington. Um, A man named Kenneth Arnold was flying his small plane and he claimed to see a group of nine crescent-shaped high-speed objects. Arnold estimated their speed to be several thousand miles per hour and said they moved like saucers skipping on water. The newspaper report about it mistakenly described the objects as saucer-shaped and that's why we now call UFOs flying saucers. That's actually really cool. And we love some journalistic mistakes impacting history. Yeah. <laughs> Iconic, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> well, and I'm just going to make a note real quick that UFOs are not just related to aliens. This podcast is going to say that. That's kind of the theme we're going with. But UFOs is actually like used like in government paperwork and everything just to identify an unknown aircraft in general. So I think that's part of the controversy behind it because people are like, oh, well, it could just be a plane that we don't know about. Okay. And? 
sure. Sounds good. But I just wanted to throw that in there real quick because that does come up in Reddit threads, on YouTube comments, on Tumblr rants, everywhere you find UFO information. That'll be part of the argument. Yeah, and that is definitely a big thing when you are talking about UFOs because the government and, like, the Air Force and the Navy do play a big role in, like... A huge role in all of this, which I think just proves that they're real. Gung, gung. And that is a sneak peek at May's personal yeah, theory. Yeah, my personal <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> well, to get into, like, some famous sightings and some of the, like, highly documented actual ufo experiences we'll start off with roswell also was in 1947 the same year as the mount rainier incident um a rancher named ww mac braswell found a 200 yard long two football fields for those of us that are not familiar with that um 200 yard long wreckage in an army airfield in roswell new mexico local papers reported it was the remains of a flying saucer the military said it was just a weather balloon so see first contradiction of an unidentified flying object. Conspiracy grew in the 1950s. Dummies with latex skin and aluminum bones that looked eerily like aliens fell from the sky across New Mexico and were hurriedly picked up by military vehicles. To conspiracy theorists, this seems like a government cover-up. But these dummy drops were a way the Air Force to test new ways for pilots to survive falls, which like makes a ton of sense for me. They're trying to try some things out. I mean, it's kind of crazy, but yeah. they had to do it. But, like, <laughs> totally makes sense. Um, but I can totally understand why everyone was freaking oh out, God. like, seeing these... Like, well, especially in the 1950s, where the government would not talk to the general public, and literally everything the government did, except for presidential elections, was secret. And that was kind of the height of McCarthyism and, mm-hmm. you know... Russia. Yeah. And here we are back at Russia. Russia. But it, I think I think that people like have a valid reason to be like freaked out by this. Is I think if I saw that happen, can you imagine just like, I would poop my pants. <laughs> like <laughs> hey, crazy. I, hey, I'm just chilling in Roswell and then all of a sudden you see a person fall out of the sky. Well, imagine if it hit you. It would kill you. <laughs> Death by dummy. not funny but also like that would so happen i feel like in new mexico but so it's not aliens in this example but roswell is still the birthplace of pop culture's obsessions with ufos and there are sightings back of alien life all the way back to the 1561 in nuremberg germany yeah, so several residents in Nuremberg claim to have seen hundreds of globes, cylinders, rods, and other strange objects at sunrise. And the objects kind of flew across the face of the sun, giving the impression of a celestial battle taking place. Witnesses also claim to have seen a black triangular object before hearing a distinctive crash coming from the outer regions of the city. Um, the details like these details come from a broadsheet produced by um, a local painter and illustrator named Hans Glazer. Um, so that's just an example of like one sighting that occurred mm-hmm. centuries ago. So Which I think people have been fascinated with the skies forever. It's been a point of contention of art, of science. Literally, like, people were so confused. 
by what the stars meant for so long and it's why we have like constellations and well named constellations and people just trying to make sense of what's going on up there and people thought meteors were the end of the world and you know it's just there's where we don't know what's up there we still don't completely and it's just one of those things that i think any way that our little tiny brains can make sense of it we're gonna run with it and i think aliens is a really good example of that i think if we don't know what's up there we our, fill in the gaps our brains will fill in the gaps it it makes it a lot easier mm-hmm. but an explanation of what people saw in nuremberg was an atmospheric phenomena called a sun dog so basically what a sun dog is it's light as it passes through a hexagonal shaped ice crystal and the crystal acts as a prim- prism that bends the light and causes a red colored hue to appear in the sky and when the sun rises higher the rays become like skewed and so it just causes some trippy light effects basically like a light show but old school style and people were just super confused and i think one of these happened past couple years i remember i might have just read about it in this context but it's a really interesting like astronomical phenomenon and like i was saying earlier it just people didn't know for so long what was happening in the sky and got to make it work any way you can yeah and especially if I don't know. I don't know how much they knew at fifteen in fifteen sixty one, but I mean they had like astrolabes and stuff, which like are pretty cool science if you think about it. But mm-hmm. I don't know this this next like pr- piece of proof piece of evidence really gets me. It's the first picture, and it was taken in nineteen fifty. Yeah, taken in McMinnville, Oregon. Um, so the story is Evelyn Trent was out feeding the rabbits on her farm outside of McMinnville uh, when she spotted something in the air that looked like, quote, a good-sized parachute canopy without the strings, only silver bright mixed with bronze, end quote. She grabbed her husband, Paul, who took two pictures of this object before it flew away. And the pictures were published in local newspapers and in Life magazine. Mm-hmm. And in... In response to all the attention that it was getting, in 1967, so 17 years later, the Air Force commissioned prominent nuclear physicist Edward U. Condon to lead an exhaustive UFO study. Um, The 950-page report... Oh, my God. 950 pages. That feel crazy. I can't even write 950 words. How thick do you think that bad boy is? (laughs) And it's all on a typewriter. Oh Back my then. gosh. <laughs> anyway, this this thick guy, this, <laughs> this thick, thick boy, thick boy, um, easily dismissed most of the reported sightings, um, that it like went into. So it was it was they were investigating more than just this one, um, mm-hmm. but this one was part of it. It stated, quote, at least one showing a disc shaped object in flight over Oregon is classed as difficult to explain in a conventional way, end quote. The study determined that the photos were genuine and that the trends were truthful. Well, um, that's awesome because it really gives a lot of credit to like, okay, yeah, we don't know what this is. We don't really know how to explain it. But these people weren't lying or making it up. And I think that like kind of feeds into that whole like 
unfalsable idea of UFOs. Like, we can't prove it, but we can't prove that it's wrong, not there also. And if you guys want to look up the picture, I just Googled McMinnville UFO picture, and it's that classic UFO photo that you see a lot when you think when you think of a UFO, it's that picture, basically. And I just, this next quote from the study is just kind of crazy, and it says, the this is one of the few UFO reports in which all the factors investigated, genetic, psychological, and physical, appear to be consistent with the assertion that an extraordinary flying object, silvery, metallic, disc-shaped, tens of meters in diameter, and evidently artificial, flew within sight of two credible witnesses. So this is basically saying that there are other reports from this time period, same situation, same circumstances. And I think that just holds a lot of credibility to this whole situation. Yeah, like the fact that they deemed some false, Mm -hmm. but yet they deemed this one remaining unidentified. Well, and I think if you listen to our Bigfoot episode, subtle plug, (coughs) go listen listen to it. But same idea. There are people who believe so hard in Bigfoot that they'll like fake Bigfoot remains to get people like interested in it. And I think that's what people were doing with the UFO stuff is they're like, I saw it. No one believes me. I'm going to fake some pictures or fake something of that matter to get people to be on their side. But then of course, like there's ways of disproving all that. And then it brings the skepticism, excuse me, into this theory. Yeah. And Another case in which it's kind of hard to disprove, or at least there's, like, some, like, tangible evidence, is the Val Johnson is incident, which actually occurred here in Minnesota. Woo. Um, yeah, represent. <laughs> so this incident occurred at 1.40 a.m. near Warren, Minnesota, where Marshall County Sheriff's Deputy Val Johnson was on night patrol along a rural section of State Highway 220. Um, In a police interview after this night, he described how he was driving along the road when, quote, I noticed a very bright, brilliant light, 8 to 12 inches in diameter, 3 to 4 feet off the ground, end quote. He drove toward the light and woke up in the ditch a half hour later with burns around his eyes. The windshield and one headlight of his vehicle were smashed. Both radio antenna were both were bent sharply back. The watch on his wrist and the clock on the dash both ticked 14 minutes slow. And the car is actually still on show at the Marshall County Museum. And it again, it's one of the few cases where there's very tangible evidence. Yeah, um, this one this one freaks me out. And this is one that you'll find within like those Reddit things to prove that this is a tangible and credible theory just ufos in general is this incident because it is so crazy and it has a lot of the same characteristics as this next one we're going to get get into but you know the clock thing the burns it's all part of the um ongoing symptoms of a an alien encounter or a ufo encounter so this next one as I mentioned, is the most famous abduction. So now we're getting into abductions. It's the Betty and Barney Hill abduction in 1961. Betty and Barney Hill were driving down a winding country road in New Hampshire 
They hadn't seen a car in miles. And there's a strange light in the sky that seemed to be following them. They pulled over a few times, and once the light was basically on top of them, Barney got out with a handgun to investigate, which I love that he just had it on him. And he saw a ship as big as a jet, but round and flat. He ran back to the car, but the couple suddenly felt drowsy and passed out. And they both woke up two hours later and 35 miles down the road. They felt dirty. Their watches had stopped. Barney's shoes were strangely scuffed and Betty's dress was ripped. Um, in the following years, Betty suffered from disturbing dreams and Barney developed an ulcer and anxiety, making the couple seek mental help. The two met with Benjamin Simon, a psychiatrist and neurologist who specialized in hypnosis, a mainstream technique at the time, just to like um, go back and read tree of those memories like in a neutral state and through months of weekly sessions simon helped the couple piece together what they think happened so basically here's what they believe happened yeah here's what they kind of dug up through these hypnosis sessions yes and they pieced it together over time but basically a vessel had landed on the hill's car putting them to sleep afterwards gray beings walked them up a very long ramp into the spacecraft. Once inside, the hills were separated, taking turns in examination room where the beings removed Betty and Barney's clothes, plucked strands of their hair, took clippings of their nails, scraped their skin. Needles connected to long wires probed their heads, arms. So later, when alone with the layers of beings, Betty asked where the craft had flown, admitting she knew little of the universe. They began joking with her, saying, if you don't know where you are, there wouldn't be any point in telling you where I am. And later, under hypnosis, she drew a star map showing her where she was, like, on the ship and, like, where the ship was and everything. And so then, after all this happened, um, the Air Force investigated this experience as part of the secretive initial initiative, Project Blue Book, that investigated UFO sightings across the country. And we'll get into Project Blue Book in a couple moments. But this incident became the first ever widely publicized alien abduction account it is still heavily contested, still a huge part of this conspiracy theory, pop culture, and they were kind of messed up after it. It took a lot. There's a lot of PTSD, like, yeah. as we and just said. What we went over was just, like, a... Bare a, bones. Yeah, very bare bones. There's so much more that they uncovered through the hypnosis mm-hmm. um, the treatment. YouTube, the YouTube hole that you can get into on just this story alone hours hours gone but i recommend it it's pretty interesting stuff and literally like just the stuff that we just said like the little gray beings that's a huge thing in the rest of the ufo conspiracy theory and just um like extraterrestrial thought this was kind of the basis for a lot of these like ongoing theories and everything but we're gonna take a quick break and it'll come back for some government explanations the peace corps is celebrating its 60th anniversary this year in that time 33 university of st thomas alums have served as peace corps volunteers could you be next learn more about your opportunity to work for the world and connect with a recruiter online at peacecorps.gov Welcome back to Cold Facts Hot Takes. 
Okay, we're getting into the government's role in all of this. Um, so as we mentioned, it goes all the way to the top. It, <laughs> you know, Jimmy Carter actually <laughs> reported a UFO sighting. Okay, well, he was a peanut farmer. He he had a land. Of course they're going to go there. Yeah, no, like the whole thing with him having a farm and like, that makes sense. Of course he would. Of course he would report one. Yeah, he was a big proponent of like the government revealing like all the information they had on UFOs and yeah, he's what a guy. A man of the people okay. <laughs> apparently. A man of the A man of the conspiracy, conspiracy theorists. Theory. Yeah. A man of us, if a you will. <laughs> Our audience. Um but as we mentioned with the Betty and Barney Hill case, um the government did start doing some official investigations. So they started one called Project Sign, which eventually became Project Blue Book. And essentially, it's just a collection of investigations into different UFO reports. Mm -hmm. Um, So the investigation was really sparked in response to the Cold War and the fear that these UFOs were actually sophisticated Soviet aircraft. Which was not too crazy to think about because if you look back 25 years before Germany and Russia both had submarines and that was advanced technology then and the airplanes that were used in World War One and World, well, World War Two for the most part were very advanced and so I think that it was not an unfounded um, concern of the government to be looking at it as um, you know military actions. Yeah and I don't know. I'd be concerned if there was just this flying object that I didn't know what it was, yeah. but it was in our airspace. Yeah. Man. It caused some anxiety there. <laughs> I feel a little worried. Oh, my goodness. Um, but Project Blue Book lasted from 1952 to 1969 and compiled reports on more than 12,000 sightings or events. Um, and it would classify each one as either identified um, which means it had a known astronomical, atmospheric, or human-caused phenomenon behind it, or it would be classified as unidentified. And 6% of these sightings remain unidentified. So this investigation lasted from 1952 to 1969 and compiled reports on more than 12,000 sightings or events and classified each one as either identified meaning it had a known astronomical, atmospheric, or human-caused phenomenon behind it, or it would classify it as unidentified. And so 6% at the end of it all were still unidentified. Which, we did the math quick, and it comes out to be around 720 of those cases are unidentified. And that that's a lot. That's still a lot of unidentified flying uh, objects out there. Heck yeah, it is. And... Then, in 1966, another committee was set up to review some of the Blue Book material, and it's now known as the Condon Report, which we mentioned um, back in relation to... (laughs) Did we mention it? (laughs) I thought we mentioned it. I think it was the McMinnville. Yeah. Yes. Um, (laughs) Just did the command F for that. Um... So then in 1966, another committee was set up to review some of the Blue Book material in what's now known as the Condon Report, which we talked about with the McMinnville incident. The committee concluded that there wasn't evidence of anything other than commonplace phenomena, 
um, for most of them. And with that report, the Project Blue Book was dismantled, which I don't think it actually got dismantled, and I'm going to talk about that in my series section, but uh, they don't get, the government doesn't give up that easy on things like this, so we'll get into it. But the probably the most popular and most famous government involvement in the UFOs are the Men in Black. One fantastic movie series. Here come the Men in Black. Hey. Yeah. No, fantastic movies that kind of make us think that it's fake, but it's real. But so it's work for the government, identified themselves as a secret organization, carry a white card with them, so they have government clearance, all these things, and they talk to people who have seen UFOs or those who research UFOs. And basically, they're kind of like the muscle so that people don't talk about these situations. Um, so they're kind of, they like threaten scare people to like remain silent about it. But so encounters with the men in black are um, Harold Dahl in 1947, reported seeing six UFOs on the Puget Sound. One fell apart, killing his dog and injuring his son. And the men in black came to find him and threatened him to remain silent about the incident. And Dahl later admitted that the sighting was a hoax. But did he do that because he was threatened by the men in black? Dun dun. The world may never well, know. I mean, I have some opinions on that, but <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot, of pe- a lot of people do for that one. But the next encounter with the men in black was pretty controversial and fairly recent. Shane Savar in 2008. Savar reported seeing a UFO outside of the hotel he managed, and two weeks later, two men in black visited the hotel looking for him, caught on camera. Like this encounter was a ca- this encounter between him and these men was caught on camera, and men described as tall, identical faces, incredibly pale skin, and no eyebrows. So that's what the men in black are. And I've heard some things that the men in black are aliens, but that's like part of the theory but not like the whole thing of it yeah i've heard i've heard mixed things um a lot of the descriptions of the men in black are very similar to this one that they're tall Mm -hmm. um incredibly pale skin no eyebrows um and they look like like their skin almost looks like plastic i think too yeah well it makes me think they look like the dummies that fell in the sky it's all <laughs> just give us a chill. <laughs> Goes all the way to the top. <laughs> but basically, yeah, no, I think Men in Black is like the most popular just because like the movie series mm-hmm. brought it onto people's radar and then like when they Google Men in Black looking for the movie stuff, they stumble across these theories and then here we are. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it I think it it's contested just because it's one of those like just pop culture. It's, like, too much in pop culture mm-hmm. for it to, like, really go anywhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. And with this one, too, it's, like, it, it, there's not as much, like, physical evidence. Yeah. But that of video it. of them talking to him, to um, Sovar, I think that does help it. You know, mm-hmm. people are always going to argue, well, that video's not real. Or, yes, sure, two government officials came and talked to him, but... Yeah. They didn't look or, like that. Yeah. Or, or like, what's what's so suspicious about two men in suits? Yeah. At a hotel. Yeah. You know, so that there's a lot of um, speculation. Mm-hmm. Um, but in 
very recently, like within the past mm-hmm. year, um, NASA and the government and yeah, NASA is not part of the government anymore officially. Um, still does work with our defense stuff though for aerial things, I believe. Yeah. So within the last year, April 2020, the world got even crazier Mm -hmm. than what it already was. Three Navy videos that had been circulating the web and driving UFO speculation for years were released by the Pentagon in order to, quote, clear up any misconceptions about whether the unclassified footage was real or complete. Which kills me because the internet forced the Pentagon (laughs) to release confidential information. These Reddit trolls. God bless them. They're, it's, it's too much. But that that kills me because they're just like, we can't let any more lies about it go forward. But the Pentagon confirmed they're real. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. The videos recorded in late 2004 and early 2015 captured by naval aviators mm-hmm. show objects hurtling through the sky, one rotating against the wind. Which is, like, impossible to do. Like... Within, you know, like man-made stuff. Mm-hmm. And the only comment that the Pentagon would give was that, quote, the Navy has always considered the phenomena observed in those videos as unidentified, mm-hmm. end quote. Well, the Navy is the Navy. I, I feel like they see a lot of stuff yeah. out in the ocean. No. <laughs> There's so much out like, there. Like, all these sightings that we're going to talk about here or come from the Navy. Yeah. Like, man, the stuff you see. Well, yeah, it's just vast. There's nothing out there. You got to observe a lot more yeah. because there's nothing else to look at. Yeah. But clear skies, yeah. too. Well, Kayla, you added this part in here, and I think it's so funny. But the videos had originally been posted online by the New York Times in the To the Stars Academy of Arts and Sciences which is an organization founded by Blink-182 member Tom DeLong and several former government employees. <laughs> like, the impact that pop punk really had on America, this is an example of it. And he is a huge conspiracy theorist. He's, like, he's part of all of this. He's yeah. really into it. Yeah, I apparently I was just destined all this time to become super into conspiracy theories because even the music I listen to apparently... Yep. Has <laughs> really set us up for this, Kayla. It's, Here we it's, are. It's all those days in middle school <laughs> jamming out to Blink-182. And today. Listen to them earlier today. Oh, yeah. That's just on brand. But uh, he he's part of all of this. If you want to look into it, it's a lot of it. Yes. But this year alone, in February, um, blogger Steve Douglas picked up a radio transmission from American Airlines Flight 2292. While flying over the uh, over Clayton, New Mexico. It's always New Mexico. It's I don't know. Is it the desert that has something to do with it? It Skinwalker Ranch is there. All of the spooky things are there. Roswell. Roswell. Oh, we have to go. The dummies. Live. Tommy. Tommy Media cold packs hot takes <laughs> live from New Mexico. Yeah. Wait. Is- but so Steve Douglas, when he picked up this transmission, he heard the pilot saying. Do you have any targets up here? We just had something go right over the top of us at 1.19 p.m. Central Standard Time on Sunday. I hate to say this, but it looked like a long, 
cylindrical object that almost looked like a cruise missile type of thing moving really fast right over the top of us. And then the next day, the Federal Aviation Administration released a statement about what was supposedly seen explaining, a pilot reported seeing an object fly over New Mexico shortly after noon local time on Sunday, February 21st, 2021. FAA air traffic controllers did not see any object on the area on their radar scopes. So this pilot saw something no one else did. That's concerning. And so then a different flying, unidentified flying object was um, discussed in April, so just last month, and the Defense Department confirmed that leaked photos and video of the unidentified aerial phenomena that was taken in 2019 are legitimate images of unexplained objects. This video is of triangle-shaped objects blinking and moving through the clouds taken by Navy personnel. And this was all over Twitter. When this happened, Twitter kind of had a meltdown because of it. Um, And a spokesperson also confirmed that photos of three identified objects, one sphere-shaped, another acorn-shaped, and one characterized as being metallic, a metallic blip, were also taken by Navy personnel. The Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force, which was created in August 2020 to investigate UFO sightings observed by the military, has included these incidents in their ongoing examinations. Quote. So, yeah, so I have... It's real. <laughs> Hot take with these cold facts. It's real. Yes. Even even the government, they may not say that it's aliens, but they do say that these are, these do remain unidentified mm-hmm. objects in the sky. And even like big astronomers, astrophysicists, mm-hmm. um, they are also they also admit that like these are unidentified objects and i saw one quote from a big um astronomer say that he wouldn't be surprised if by like 2067 we had tangible proof Mm -hmm. that these were from aliens yeah well and i think as long this kind of gets into our theories section if we're going to keep just talking but our technology is going to get better even with the next 15, 10 to 15 years, our like quality of imagery is already expanding so rapidly that these images are going to be taken at a higher um, quality level, despite even just by everyday people. So it's going to be harder to disprove and, if I'm going to say it, easier to make look real. If people are going to fake it, it's going to be a lot easier to do so because just with you know, fabrication software and people's ability. Phenomenal. It's just good. I think there's going to be a lot of, this is an ongoing conversation and topic that I think will like just keep going in the military or whoever is really taking charge of this. It's just going to have to keep going at it because it's going to keep happening. And I don't, and like I said earlier, people are just fascinated with what's up in the sky. And mm-hmm. it's always going to be that way. Yeah. And there's a lot of like, there's a lot of push in um, the political world for mm-hmm. the government to start revealing more and more on some of the reports and stuff they've gathered mm-hmm. over yeah, the, the years. FBI has released quite a bit of files on anything over the past couple of years, and I think that'll continue to happen. And if we bully the Pentagon enough, apparently we can get videos out of them, so yeah. we'll just keep doing that. But mm-hmm. 
I don't know, Kayla. I guess my theory is that I think they're real. Um, I'm not going to say that they're little green men. I think that's kind of absurd. But it's the idea has a lot of weight and a lot of tangible evidence and a lot of, like, founded theory and, like, quality information behind it. So I think that, like, going forward, I think it's going to be an actual form of science and research. Right. And I'd say my view is probably very similar. Like, Mm -hmm. it's almost ignorant to just, like, completely shut down, Mm -hmm. um, like, all this tangible evidence. And it's not necessarily to say that, like, like, it's little green men or, Mm -hmm. like, anything like that. But, like, yeah, there's objects out there that remain unidentified and that we don't know what they are. And that doesn't mean it's one thing or another. Yeah. No, and... This is, it's so fascinating. And, you know, that all that stuff from, like, the 1500s, you know, hundreds of years ago, people were having these same questions and speculations about what's happening. And I just think that's so fascinating. Like, as humans, we're like, what's happening over there? You know, it's like the existential crisis. And, you know, I think that, all of this information from the 20th century, like when science was just becoming common knowledge, when research was becoming popular, well, publicly popular and available for people, I think in like national coverage of these events really helped people to be like, oh, I'm not the only person who's seen this. I'm going to come forward with my information. I'm going to like help those other people because I've also seen these things on my farm in New Mexico or driving through New Hampshire or, you know, and that's the thing. It happens all over the country and all over the world. It's not just the desert like we kind of joke about, but it's, it's, I think it's definitely real. And I think that same with ghosts. And I've kind of talked about this before on this podcast, that if your brain is open to seeing those things and experiencing those things, they'll happen to you. Like, your energy and your vibes, I guess. And I, that's the wrong <laughs> word, but it's, it's like, people who experience, like, ghost encounters or any of that spiritual middle plane things have a affiliation, affinity to be open to it. And so I think that's kind of the same thing with this, and I think that's fascinating. Yeah. I feel like you can always, if you're closed off to it, you can always find a logical explanation for mm-hmm. things. Um. And I don't know. The thing is here, even the government says it's unidentified. And I mean, I'm not going to take what the government says completely serious all the time. But this is. (laughs) But this. This is the one thing I will stand behind. It's It's the government's opinion on UFOs. Yeah. Well, and what makes it. It, it's because we've had to, like, drag this out of them. Yeah. It's because they've been so slow to admit that these remain unidentified. And it even, like, makes you wonder with kind of going back to the men in black is, like, how many people felt threatened by the government to, like, remain silent mm-hmm. or, like, felt like they couldn't speak out or, like, had to change their story. And we just don't know. Well, and, yeah, just the whole... The government's role in this situation and these theories is so important. And like I said, in the 20th century stuff with the Cold War and 
you know, McCarthyism and all these things. The government was so involved in people's day-to-day life that it makes sense that they got involved right away and then were holding on to their information because it was a time where they couldn't share their information necessarily for, like, security reasons. And I can kind of support and see that. But I just think it's so interesting. But I would have loved to be one of those FBI guys working on this. That would have been crazy. Or CIA or whatever. But, like, what? Imagine being like, hey, today we're going to go check out these crazy people out in Oregon. And we're going to go see what they're talking about on their farm. And then being like, oh, shit, it's real. That would have been so cool. Ugh. My dream. Dream job. <laughs> dream job. <laughs> Goodness. Well, this was a great episode, Kayla. Really, we've, we're finishing the semester strong Yeah. with this podcast. Wow. Yeah. Had a lot of fun, a lot of laughs. Yeah. It's been, it has been a great time. And sadly, it's probably, probably my last time recording an episode. Tear. Sad. Sad day. Well, I guess on that note, before we get even more sad and mushy gushy we'll we'll peace out so thanks for listening to cold facts hot takes you guys um if you want to hear more from us subscribe to our apple podcast channel at tommy media and for anything st thomas related or more podcasts even check out tommymedia.com so for cold facts hot takes i'm may with kayla mayer we'll see you guys next time Bye. bye